people. Welcome to the second episode of the Little Debbie Downer podcast. I am so thankful you're here. I am totally in awe of so many of you that shared your own stories with me in regards to last week's episode. You were open, honest, vulnerable, and it really helped me feel like what I said and how I may have put myself out there was so well worth the risk. And I am just so happy to be a part of each other's stories and just know that it is super appreciated and I'll never forget it. Um, Since last week's episode was rather heavy with emotion, I thought a Q&A episode would be a kind of buffer between more serious episodes. So I put out an all call to people to give me some questions they might have, and I'm going to do my best to answer them. So let's hear what some listeners would like to know about yours truly. Oh, geez. All right. So the first question is, why did I start a podcast? Um, well, the first honest answer is because talking to myself had become completely boring. I literally talk to myself all the time. So why not do this and let other people enjoy the boredom with me? (laughs) No, um, honestly, you know, COVID hit us in all different kinds of ways. And since my kids were getting older and they all had stuff to do and, it, I got a hamster. Okay. I got a hamster. I felt like I needed a little loving companion, somebody I could focus on that needed me for life, sustenance, all that good stuff. And I fell in love with the hamster and I got him near the beginning of COVID. And I just fell in love. He's so stinking cute. His name is Scooter. He's still alive. He is a winter white hamster, which means he actually changes color depending on the climate. So he turns whiter as it becomes colder. So he's awesome and cool in that way, which is fantastic. And he was just something that kept me happy and was just a fun little guy to watch, to pet, to play with. I just love him. Um, That hamster turned into another hamster and another hamster and another hamster. So I had four. It took me a while to realize that I have four children, four cats, and then four hamsters. Obviously, I need to play the lottery with a lot of fours in it. Anyhow, one of my hamster assistants passed, Navi, and I miss her dearly, but the other three are going strong. And when I wasn't really sure what exactly to, you know, to do with the hamster, how to like profess my love for hamsters and and all that good stuff on Instagram, I found a lot of different hamster accounts so cool. I learned so much stuff I never knew before. I learned all the wrong ways, all the right ways. And I think I have pretty good care now 
and know how to treat a small animal way better than I ever thought they should have been treated. And through that, being what we call hamstergram, there was this cool girl named Holly, woman, excuse me, cool woman named Holly who had her own hamster and her own hamster account. And she started a podcast just about hamster care, which I thought was totally cool. And I was obsessed with it. And we talked. I went on the podcast with her. Um, can't think of how many times after the first time, because I was so freaking nervous to go on here. I don't, I don't know why anybody that knows me knows I talk and that shouldn't be an issue, but something about like being myself and being raw and professing my love for hamsters. <laughs> I don't know. I was just a nervous wreck. So I got on there super sweet. She was lovely. It was just like talking with a friend. It was fabulous. I think I went on again, I think. And then I said, Hey, if you plan on doing some kind of like special episode for anniversary or something, I want to interview you. Like I'm going to come up with these questions. People would want to know and interview you. And we did it. And it was so much freaking fun. And then that was kind of it for a little while. And then I had people here and there say, Oh, you should get on YouTube or you should do a podcast because of your sense of humor and all that kind of stuff. And I knew right away that if I did anything, I couldn't do YouTube. I didn't want to be seen. I just want to chill, be me. That added layer of having video is was just mind-blowing to me. I don't think I could have. It's just not my jam. So I thought about what I wanted to talk about, what I wanted to do, what I had to offer. I talked to my friends, to my family. I talked to Holly from the Happy Hamster Corner. And I got a lot of advice and, and where to start and researched, um, followed different podcasters, you know, and just, I just said, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go for it. So I started it because I want to use my voice for good. I've become less of a person who holds stuff in and cares what people think and more of a sharer and carer. And so that's why I started the podcast, but I never would have done it had I not had the support of Holly and my other good friends on Instagram and my coworkers and my family. So yeah, here we are. So question number two. Okay, so some of these questions are going to come because I have a lot of listeners that come from my hamster Instagram account because I have like mm, around 2,800 followers, I guess, something like that. So a lot of the people that are on here are going to be people from that account, people that I work with, friends of family, things like that. So some of these questions may be animal related, but that's okay. Um, so the second question is, how is saving mice going at school? Okay, so those of you that don't know, I work in an elementary school and the school system and I, I understand in theory, it's cheaper to have sticky traps to catch critters in school that you don't want in there. Um, they are horrific pieces of garbage. Let me tell you, I've had my finger stuck on a sticky trap before and I could barely get my finger off. So imagine little creatures 
Um, and I'm not talking just mice. I'm talking slugs. Um, we get a lot of lizards around our house. Um, when lizards can get caught on them and it's heartbreaking. They literally cannot move whatever touches the sticky trap, their limbs, their stomach, their head, whatever. And they freak out and they try to get off. They rip body parts off. They cannot eat. They cannot move. They cannot drink. So they lay there on this until they starve to death, suffering the entire time is awful. So when I found out there were people at my school getting mice with sticky traps, I just knew I had to do something different. So I went out and purchased some no-kill traps um, where the mice crawl into it because there's something yummy in there, mostly peanut butter, but they got a little picky near the end and I had to throw in some other good stuff. Um, they go in, they eat, and they can knock it back out. So I'd put it in there after school around 4 o'clock. The next morning I would come in, and if they were there, fantastic. I would transfer them over to a large container I had full of other food and water and bedding and places they could hide to mimic the outdoors. I had leaves in there, grass, everything, right? Didn't touch them, didn't do anything, just moved them from one location to another. I didn't want to interfere in their life. I didn't want them to call me mama and have to keep it, although that would have been fabulous. Um, so I would leave at work at four o'clock the next day and I would drive them five, six miles away to a cool open field and I would release them. And so that became my jam around school. Either people thought I was an idiot for doing it and I got a bunch of crap for it, or people were supportive, even if they were scared, and all of the kids loved it. I had no kid that was like, ew, that's disgusting. I would stand in the hall every like Friday. If I had a ham, I mean, I'm sorry, if I had a mouse in my container, I would take it out in the hall so the kids walking by could see it and talk about it, and I could teach them little things about mice and about how they're gentle creatures. And we, in anyway, it was a great learning experience. It was a great way for them to learn a little bit of compassion and love for animals that might not be just a cat or dog. Um, I also got to teach them a little Spanish. I decided early on that I wasn't just gonna name them one, two, three, whatever, but I did wanna keep track of how many I got. So we just started naming them um, Spanish numbers. So we got, by the time I was done, because we haven't had any in quite a while now, um, we got up to 23, 23. So it caught 23 mice that year using non-lethal ways and rehomed them. And I hope they're happy and that's all I really know. So yeah, the um, mice saving has come down to zero right now. I think it's spring and everything's getting busy out in the wild and they don't have time to come in and, you know, get all the crumbs and crap off the floor that kids leave. So it's slowing down, but I'm ready. I will start trapping again next year. Whoop, whoop. Um, question number three, um, were you always a vegan? So, no, I was not always a vegan. I started actually eating plant-based probably, 
oh my gosh, maybe five, six years ago, I went on this green 10 day green smoothie cleanse and because I wanted to lose some weight and feel better. I have some like body issues that, you know, aren't helped by eating the crap I was eating. And so I'm like, I went on the screen smoothie cleanse, 10 days of it. I lost like 17 pounds. And for years I kept 15 of that off. Um, and I just started eating plant-based. So yeah, totally vegan, except for on top of that, you didn't have processed crap. You didn't have oil. You didn't, it was way more restrictive. And so slowly I just ventured over to vegan. Um, I had also, after I had children, had a little bit of problem with dairy. So I gave up cheese first. And then that was kind of, once I got over that hurdle, it didn't really matter. I wasn't a huge meat eater. I mean, would I have chicken or like hamburger in my tacos? I did, but it wasn't really like a big thing to give up. The only thing I really ever ate was chicken. And honestly, I eat a lot of Mexican food. It's my favorite. I like spice. I like the flavors in Mexican food and meat really adds nothing to it. You really don't need meat to eat Mexican food and have it taste delicious. So I wasn't always a vegan. I am happy to be a vegan. I think it helps me health wise. But I also, especially in the last couple of years, have really come to realize what fabulous, loving, caring, familial, um, wonderful creatures all animals are, that they can love their young, that they can make bonds with each other and with humans. And I just can't look myself in the mirror and eat any animal. I mean, I, I just can't do it. So um, my one of my daughters is a vegetarian and the rest are all non-vegans, which is fine. That's I, I'm not here to convince anybody. I'm just living my life. So yes, I'm a vegan now. Um, ooh, question four is kissing up. I love this. How do you not look anywhere near the age of 55? I don't know who wrote this, but you're my favorite. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think my mom um, looked young. Um, I think it's just heredity. I really don't, I don't know. From the time I was a teenager and, you know, you started wearing um, things on your face, I always used Neutrogena products. I've always used Neutrogena stuff. Occasionally, I will get a different kind of mascara, but what touches my face has always been Neutrogena, and I've recently added bio oil. I did that originally for some scars I had. Um, I had had some surgery right above my eyebrow to remove some skin cancer, and bio oil was one of the things they recommended. And now I kind of use it in lots of different places. It's just really absorbing and good for your skin. And I've got scars everywhere from all sorts of stuff. That's life. And so um, I don't know. So maybe eating the vegan lifestyle and not having all the preservatives and all the antibiotics and whatever the hell they fill meat with is I, maybe it's helpful. I don't I don't really know. But yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. I do work in a school with little kids, so I do definitely feel young. So at least mentally, I feel young. <laughs> So maybe that helps on the outside. Um, number five, 
how did you find yourself and who you feel like you are um, while trying lots of different things in your life? So I think I did say on my intro episode that I finally felt kind of content with who I am, that I like myself, love myself, um, that I'm good with me now. And I know it took me 55 years, but whatever, I'm finally here and that's fantastic. Not to say there's not a lot of things I worry about or would like to improve, but overall, for me to even have this podcast means that I'm okay with myself. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I wouldn't do this if I didn't feel like I had something to give and was at peace with things. So, um, I'd like to say the different jobs I had, you know, were a lot of different things that taught me all sorts of things about life, but jobs are just one thing in your life. They're not everything. We spend a lot of time there, so you can easily associate it with that. So it's not necessarily the jobs themselves. It's the little things that may have happened during them and different experiences that I never thought I'd do. We didn't do a lot when I was a kid. You know, I never went fishing. I never went camping. I never went to camp. I never, you know, that's just the way it was. No big deal. But so I finally went camping when I was like 48 or 49, we drove across country to visit my daughter who was living in Colorado at the time. And I camped, I peed in the woods, people. Yes, I did. So I was so proud of myself. It was one little thing that probably every five-year-old that it goes to my school has done, <laughs> but I had not. So that was something that was a new experience. Something made me proud of myself for really going out of my comfort zone. Um, I just make a goal and I do it. Um, I wanted to run a 5k. I ran a 5k. I didn't do too bad. I didn't die. I may have walked a little bit. I was proud of myself. That was like mid forties. I think I did that and I was okay. I finished it. And then a couple years ago, I wanted to do it again, but my body had changed a lot, but I was damn well determined I was going to do it. And you got like a beer or a glass of wine afterward. It was actually held at a winery and it ran along this cornfield and there were a lot of stalks down. So in the middle of my, you kind of went out a long ways and then you came back. So on my way out there, about three quarters of the way done on the way out, I snagged my foot on one of the downed corn stalks and it Oh man, I pulled something in my hip. And so I literally walked and limped the rest of the thing. So I was like one of the very last finishers. I mean, like people had cleared out. (laughs) I mean, my family was there and a few other people, you know, that a couple people that were behind me and I just, I had to finish. What was I going to (laughs) do? Lay there and wait for somebody to come get me in the cornfield So, but I'm proud of myself that I did finish it. I mean, it was the terrible, I don't even remember the time. I don't even think I looked. I just, I, I got to the top of the very last hill where I could see people and I just walked as fast as I could limping and walking as fast as I could down that hill. And like tears are going down my face. I was so embarrassed and I was so sad that I didn't do better. And I was, cause I was still looking forward to this and but I did it and I'm proud of myself for doing it. 
Um, I set a goal, said I was going to do it, and I did it. I set a goal to stop drinking. Um, and it, I haven't had a, anything to drink in 170 days. But who's counting? Me. It's just important to me um, because of some different issues I have and I take medication for. Um, it was not wise for me to also have alcohol. And I was starting to use it as a crutch to help me sleep at night. And honestly, you really don't sleep that soundly when you, you know, drink beforehand. You might sleep well for like an hour or so and then you're up and it's not pleasant. And so it was not as hard as I thought. There are times when I'm stressed or feeling bad that I think about having a drink. But I have this app on my phone that keeps track of how long it's been and how much money I've saved not doing it. And... I look at that and that's all I really need at this point. So I'm really excited about that. And, um, but there are so many different experiences. I mean, being married and having kids, everything you go through shapes you and gives you a different attitude. And, you know, coming from a family dynamic where my parents got divorced, um, we had some, um, okay, so my mom had tried to commit suicide not too long after the divorce when I was 14-ish. Um, just family things that, you know, were not the best experiences. And so that was the thing I couldn't control, but a lot of things I couldn't control affected me. And especially when you're younger, but even as you get older and you have jobs and you know, I loved working in police work, but, you know, I was definitely not wanted there. I was the only female at the time there. I was told to my face by people I didn't belong there. And I pushed through that and tried to do the best I could in the way I wanted to do it. Um, I was the, since I was the token female, I was the one that was sent to any kind of um, child molestation, any kind of rape, any kind of death notification, anything they thought should be delivered by a woman or done by a woman. Well, that was always me. Um, I worked one of, one of the jobs I really, really loved the most was one of the shortest ones I actually had. But when I gave birth to my second daughter, I had had a C-section with my first daughter and my second daughter, I was able to have quote unquote the right way, but I was able to have a vaginal birth and it was the most incredible experience. I have never felt stronger in my entire life than when I had her and it was just such a great experience. It was in the middle of a blizzard. So we had like 13 inches of snow outside there was only one other person in the whole hospital unit that was having a baby. I had a lot of attention from the nurses and it was just a great experience. So as soon as I healed and was able to get back in there, I started volunteering um, in the maternity area. And eventually that led to a job. So I became an OB tech, an obstetrics technician. I was set up to delivery tables um, I would get to take the babies out and take pictures of them. I would get to, you know, assist the nurse in helping to take care of the mom. It was just freaking fabulous. And I saw some really 
kick-ass, strong women. The nurses, they were just strong human beings. We work 12-hour shifts. You're on your feet. You're, you know, sometimes you have parents that are, you know, screaming at you. Of course, they're constantly yelling because they're in pain. It's just a lot. Um, But one of the most memorable parts was a woman who was pregnant. She was about, oh my gosh, she came in at about 15 or 16 weeks. She was losing the baby. They were able to do some kind of surgery that closed the cervix and she had to lay in the bed until she was 24 weeks and able to be transported by ambulance to a better facility. If we moved her when she was there, she would have lost the baby. She literally was on her back or side 24 hours a day for months while I was there. And she was so positive. We would go in, we would wash her hair for her. We would try to visit her. Her husband was always there. This woman loved that baby more than I have ever seen a pregnant woman love their baby. She fought and fought and fought. I mean, imagine, I mean, I, I know a lot of people who've been on bed rest with twins or triplets or just because they have an issue. I get it. But in the hospital with all the noises and the people and hearing babies cry that aren't yours and hearing the joy, just all of that is laying there from 16 weeks to 24 weeks in that shitty little hospital bed, using a potty that's stuck up under your butt while you're laying down, just all the things. She was just amazing. And at 24 weeks, she did get transported to a better neonatal unit. Um, The baby was born probably two weeks after that. She didn't last much longer once she got there. The baby was under one pound. Um, It was a little girl. I don't recall what they named her. And we never got to saw the baby. She was, you know, an hour away in a different hospital And the last I heard before I left that job was the baby was still alive with significant, heartbreakingly significant issues. And they, there was hardly any good prognosis that the baby would live. And if the baby did, that there would be a, a normal life of any sort It was the kind of life where you would be taken care of and on machines and all that stuff for your entire life. So it was just so depressing at the end to hear that. She was such an incredible inspiration to all of us and a joy to be around despite all that she was going through. So there are a lot of things that can affect you and help you find yourself and help you center and realize how lucky you are and blessed you are and and grateful for what you have. So that's you know, that was incredible. Um, number six, what inspired you to teach? So let me say first of all, um, I am not a certified teacher. I started as a volunteer when my daughter started that school. We moved from another state. We started here. My daughter started my school in first grade and my son in third grade. 
and I started volunteering right away at the school. I love the school. I love the teachers. It was just fabulous. So when a position opened up there, I took it. It was a paraeducator, which is like a teacher assistant in an autism preschool. Oh my God, it was fabulous. It was hard, but it was fabulous. And let me tell you, I wish I had had that job before I had children. I learned so many things that I just really wish I'd known as a parent. Just how to talk to children, how to get the things you want out of them in a positive way. It's, it, it was just incredible. So it's not that I was inspired to teach. I kind of fell into it. And not that I'm a teacher, but I do teach children. Um, just not in the classical way where I am in a single classroom all year with a single group of students. I am all over the school I've done autism, I've done the library, I've done learning disabilities, um, I've done all of that in one year, a jack of all trades. Um, I've I've done one-on-one with one student with special needs. And right now I was lucky enough to fall into being a permanent substitute teacher. Because of COVID, there is a huge shortage in substitutes. People just don't want to come into the schools. And they really needed to encourage people to become substitutes that were in the schools permanently to always be there in case somebody was out. And if there's not anybody out, I go in specific classrooms and help specific students. And it's so far my favorite year ever. I've really, really enjoyed it. And I can't imagine not doing it. These kids give me way more than I give them. My coworkers are absolutely fabulous. I've learned so much from them. And I am really looking forward to keeping on doing it next year. I'm excited about that. So I do love being there. It is inspiring to help kids. There is so many more issues now with ADHD and autism and processing disorders and just different learning disabilities than there ever was for whatever reason. And there are so many different ways for kids to learn. And it's a fascinating process to watch these kids take something on and learn it and watch their faces glow. It's incredible. I, I love every minute of it. Number seven, ooh, what do you feel is your biggest achievement and your biggest regret? Okay, the regret one is easy. This is why I cannot be a regular classroom teacher. I never went to college. That was not even, I had a tiny bit of a question of I'd like to go and my dad put the kibosh on that. We ain't got no money for that. You're going to have to work for a living. So I never went to college. Um, I did try when I was an adult um, to go to a community college. I wanted to get like a degree or a certificate in early childhood education. I wanted to do like preschool stuff and everything. And that kind of, I took a couple courses and then I had another baby and I, I just decided to stay home and be with my children and kind of dropped that. Um, so that's my biggest regret. And I, I wish I had gone to college because I could make more, I could do more. There were just more options. Um, my greatest achievement by far to me has been raising my children. I 
I, like I said before, my youngest is 17, my oldest is 28, and there are two more in between that. And I can honestly tell you, if I was each one of their ages right now, I would want to be their friend. They are wonderful humans. And to think that I had even the smallest part with them growing up to be people I would want to be around, that I can, I know they're my children, but I can also consider them my friends. That is just the most incredible thing that's ever happened in my life. There's nothing better. Question eight. I had someone write in about how do you deal with like growing pains? And this is from a person who just graduated uni, which is what they call university in the UK. That's right. I have a diverse following. Mm-hmm. Yep. Shout out to the UK friends. Um, but she's like feeling nervous about like starting out on this thing called life. And I'm kind of going through the same thing right now with growing pains because my youngest just graduated high school. And I feel like, where do I fit in anymore? They're all grown up. They're all, you know, they need me, but they don't need me to survive. You know what I mean? Like, that's why I have hamsters. But <laughs> um, so that's going going to be a very hard transition for me. And it's just crazy. And I I never went to, to uni, so I don't really know what that's like. I kind of went from living with my dad to living with my boyfriend who turned into my husband. So the growing pains were a little bit muted by being in love. So this is hard for me to talk to. Just embrace everything because one day you're going to look back and you're going to go, oh my God, that was so cool. Or that was rough, but I got through it. It's like just life is like a maze. Like one turn leads to an end and another just keeps going and eventually you'll end up where you need to be. You're going to be fine. You're going to make a difference. You're going to be happy. You're going to be sad. You're going to be worried. You're going to be all the things, but that's what being alive is about. So go feel all the feels, girl. You've got this. Number nine, can you explain why you have chronic pain. Okay, so I'm just going to touch on this a little bit because I really don't want to make this something that's ginormous. I am here to support anybody that has this. I just don't want to define myself by it. And there are days where I feel like that's what I want to do because it's so prominent some days. I just don't want to let that become a thing. So I have degenerative disc disease. It's just the discs in my spine are more squishy than they need to be. They're just a mess. They just disintegrate and go away. I've had three neck surgeries. That's prominently where I had my issues. So I've had three neck surgeries to fix that. But once you do anything, you're kind of, that's your lot in life. So once I had the surgery, I knew it was going to end up having more. You know, you mess with the spine and it's going to keep going on. So now I have a lot of pain in my lower back um, and I am, I go to a pain doctor regularly. I get lots of injections, um, trying to stave off having to get surgery. I just got an MRI. It's looking like I have a lot more arthritis down there than we thought. And I don't have rheumatoid arthritis. There's really no medicine I can take. It's just osteoarthritis. I've got some in my hips. 
So basically, I am 55, but when I go to the doctor's office, everybody's around 70 to 80, getting the same shit I'm getting. So I, I have a, um, a very young mind, but a very old body. <laughs> so when I get out of bed in the morning, it's kind of like I bent over at the waist and I'm just shuffling into the bathroom like an old person. And then I make my way downstairs I have this like chaise lounge, this old chair chaise thing, and I have special pillows on it and a really long heating pad. I turn that on, I get my coffee, I lay on that for as long as I can until I have to go to work. <laughs> so it, it is what it is. I don't like it. I don't like feeling older. There's lots of things I cannot do. Um, I also have some arthritis on the very tip of my tailbone, which is acting up again, which to me is devastating more than the other stuff because it means I can't ride my bike and riding my bike is my happy place. And so hopefully I'll get that fixed again soon because who doesn't want a needle shoved up their hind end into their tailbone? Not me, but here I am. Um, so it is what it is. I'm working on it. I'm trying to do what I can to you know, make things as good as I can, take the medicine I need to take. So that's why I was kind of drinking and it wasn't a great idea because I do have medicine I need to take and yeah, I don't need to be mixing. But that's the essence of my chronic pain. It's just something, there's no cure. So it's just something I need to deal with as things get worse and just hope that it slows down. So anyway, number 10 and the final question, what's next? I have no earthly idea. I mean, I'm going to keep working at school next year. I love that. I'm going to keep having hamsters. I'm going to try to keep supporting rescues with my words and my money. And I'm, you know, I, as soon as the, the process opens up to be able to apply to be on the circle, that show I was talking about before, I'm going to be on it and I'm going to kill it or it'll kill me. <laughs> one thing or another. I just wanted to have like a kind of out there goal of something I wanted to do that was a little crazy and being on the circle is that goal. So we'll see how it goes. But yeah, so that's that. So I guess it's time to say goodbye. I will leave you with uh, my weekly quote. This one says, speak your truth so that others can find the courage to speak their own. So let's all speak our truth. Thank you so much for listening with me and I will talk to you next week. Goodbye.